0: Back in 2002, a preacher by the name of Paul Washer, you may have heard of him, was invited to give a a sermon to an audience of 5,000 young people in Montgomery, Alabama. It was an evangelism conference. The sermon that he preached on that day has gone down in church history as arguably one of the most watched sermons of all time. You can go on YouTube and find it. It's entitled The Shocking Youth Message. Now, there's a number of things that Paul says in that sermon that are of great shock value. But the one I remember watching it as a young Christian that really, really grabbed my attention was when he was speaking about what is a true Christian. He said the true Christian turns from their sin and they turn to Christ. They love what God loves and they hate what God hates. And in his passionate plea to these young Christians, he said to them, you are not to be like the world. You're not to be like the great majority of American Christians, but you are to be like Jesus Christ. And as he said those words, there was this great thunderous applause and cheering. And then Paul Washer, just at that moment, said, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. I didn't come here to get amens. I didn't come here to be applauded. I'm talking about you. Now I remember watching that from on my computer screen in, in the comfort of my bedroom, and I was squirming in my chair. What must it have been like to have been there that day? Well, as we pick up our series in Romans chapter 2 this evening, it seems that Paul Washer employed the exact same tactic of the Apostle Paul. You see, in chapter 1, verses 18-32, Paul has just laid out why the Gentiles stand condemned under the wrath of Almighty God. They reject general revelation. Even though the the, the truth of God is made plain to all, they suppress the truth about God in unrighteousness. The Gentiles stand guilty and condemned before God because of their idolatry. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship the created instead of the creator. They stand condemned before God because of their immorality. They're given over to debased minds, to evil passions. And all manner of unrighteousness. And as Paul wrote that, he was conscious that in the congregation of Rome, when his letter would be read, there would be Jews clapping, applauding, and saying, Amen, Amen, Amen. The Gentiles stand justly under the condemnation of God. And then Paul pivots into chapter 2. And it's like he says, Hold up. You. You. Who judge will be judged. You are too, without an excuse or an exception, you too will face the judgment seat of God. The last time we were in Romans, we, we looked at Romans chapter two, verses one through six. We we looked at that section where Paul really speaks personally and profoundly to the Jews and exposes their hypocrisy. How they're blind to the fact that, they're, how they're blind to their own sin, how they're blind to the fact that there is a coming judgment, and how they're blind to the fact that they are storing up wrath for themselves. Well, we come to verses 6 through 16, and Paul's gonna say some shocking truths. That maybe will get us to sit up. Maybe some of us tonight are gonna to squirm in our seat. Because what we're going to hear from the lips of the Apostle Paul is every single one of us will give an account on the Day of Judgment. In fact, look at what it says in verse 6. Here's the first shocking truth. He will render to each one according to his works. You heard me right. God will render to each one According to his works. And actually, we might be thinking, hold on a minute, his, his Paul had leave of his senses, like surely he argued back in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone. That's how we get the righteousness of God. What does he mean then when he says here that God will give to each one according to what he has done. Surely our standing before God is not on the basis of what we've done, but it's on the basis of what Jesus has done. Let's let's be clear. Paul Paul was an intelligent man. Paul knew that we are not saved by the law, but we're saved by faith alone and Christ alone. So so as we come to this section, let's start with that as an assumption. But let's also note that the first part of verse 6 is taken straight from Psalm 62. The final verse of Psalm 62 says the exact same thing. He will render to each one according to what he has done. Now, when you understand and appreciate Psalm 62, you, you see that a lot of the train of thought that Paul has in this section is, comes straight from that psalm. David's the author. And in Psalm 62, David is actually contrasting two people groups. He talks in verses 3 and 4 about those who will plot against the chosen king. And he says, see those people? They're people who lie. They're people who say one thing with their lips, and then they do an opposite thing in their hearts. In many ways, it's the exact same group of people that Paul's just referring to in verses 1 and 5, that the Jews, they judge without knowing that they will be judged, are blind to their own sin. And then there's another group in Psalm 62 that David speaks about, and and that's the the group that find rest in God alone. That's the group who, who know that salvation comes from God, and they take shelter and refuge in him. And flowing even from that, these two groups, that Psalm ends and says, And surely God will reward each person according to what he has done. I really want to, I really want to convince uh, you of this truth that I know you know it, but we will stand before the judgment seat and we will give an account. If you've got a Bible there, you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 16 verse 27. For the son of man is going to come with his angels, glory of his father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Turn over a few chapters, Matthew chapter 25. Verse 31. Matthew 25 verse 31, when the son of man comes glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth, from the foundation of the world. And then notice what he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me and so on and so forth. He will judge on the basis of what we have done. Then look at verse 41. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, and so on, and so on. I turn again to Second Corinthians, chapter five, the Apostle Paul. This time, verse ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And one more. You don't need to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If anyone builds in the foundation with old silver, precious stones, wood, hair, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It is the consistent teaching of the New Testament that on the last day we will be judged. According to what we have done. Paul's big point is to show the Jews and the Gentile that what you do or what you don't do is truly significant. Let me be really clear. This is where we, we need a caveat and we need to nuance this truth, right? Paul is saying to them, works matter not as the basis for our salvation, but as the evidence that someone does have faith, genuine faith. We're not justified before God on the basis of our works. We're justified before God on the basis of Jesus' finished work. There's no other way to be justified. That being true, God will assess every human being's life on the basis of what they have done in their lives. Faith without works is dead. Saving faith is always accompanied with good works. And so so when Paul wants to really just drive this reality about faith home, he has this test to see if you've got genuine faith. See, if you you look at verse 7 of chapter 2, he says, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. In verse 7, he gives he says, there are two indicators. If you want to know if you've got genuine faith, if your heart is right with God or not, he says, you will, by patience, uh, to those who by patience and well-doing, you will seek for glory and honor. Meaning you'll seek to live a life that's motivation is for the glory of God, the honor of God. You'll seek to live a life that is godly and consistent. The person who is right with God does not do good deeds for their own sake. He does them, or she does them, because they want God to receive all the glory and honor, and because they want to be more like God. They want to be godly. Then, if you look at verse 8, Here's here's the two indicators that your faith is not genuine faith. Here's the indicator that your life is not right with God. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. An unwillingness to be instructed by the Lord is evidence that you're not right with the Lord. A self-seeking mentality where where, where it's all about you is a telltale sign that you are not right with the Lord. You know, you can get religious people who are deeply self-centered. In fact, they they become religious because they, they actually want all the glory. They just use religion as a front. And you can get a religious, a religious people, and it's far more evident that, 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 that you can see it, you can sense it when you're in the presence, that they're living for self. They're not living for God. And notice that Paul says in both of these verses, one on the basis of glory and honor, those who persist, persist in doing good, those, those who are godly, they will receive eternal life. Not on the basis of their works, on the basis of Christ's finished work, but their Life will show forth, their works will show forth that their faith is genuine. And then those who are self-seeking, those who don't listen to God's instruction, they'll receive judgment, wrath, fury, hell. Now, um, when we were studying in chapter 1, you might remember that in, in, in verse 16, Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. There is a priority to salvation. It was first for the Jew. And in this Roman congregation, every Jew boasted in that fact. Salvation comes from us. We are the true offspring of Abraham. We are the heirs of the covenant. We were the recipients of the law. We are God's chosen people. And they, 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 they absolutely, as, as, as the Jews, they, they love to relish the fact that they were the special people in God's plans and purposes. Well, here's the other shock. They will be first, yes, absolutely, in the priority of salvation. But Paul says in verses 9 and 10, they'll also be first in the priority of judgment just look at verses 9 and 10 with me chapter 2 there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first and also for the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good the Jew first and also for the Greek this would have been a really shocking and solemn thing for the Jews to hear You know, to those who much responsibility, to those who much privilege has been given, much responsibility is expected, required. Their privilege was they were God's chosen people, but here's the thing, what have you done with what God has given you? One of the problems with many of the Jews is they were hearers of the law, but not doers of the law. They could recite the law, but they didn't live out the law. They, they knew the law, but they missed who the law pointed them to, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, this probably isn't a, a, a perfect application from this text. But I think it's a sobering application nonetheless. To those whom have been gifted great privileges, Jesus said this, much will be required. One of the convictions I hold dearly is that I believe that Reformed theology, Westminster confessional truth, is the best form of orthodoxy that we can find. I believe it, 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 it's Reformed theology is the teaching of the biblical scriptures. One of the privileges you and I have as Reformed Presbyterian Christians is that we get week by week to grow in the teaching of God's word as I believe God has planned and purpose for it to be revealed. Here's a question. What are you doing? What am I doing? with this glorious teaching we receive every Lord's Day. How privileged are we? In fact, how many Bibles do you have in your home? How many sermons have you listened to? How many Christian friends do you have? How much has God given you? And the question that comes, so what have you done with it? And with a judgmental honesty, you and I will, on the last day, have to give an account for all that we've been given. It is a sobering, and it is a shocking truth. It would have shocked the Jews, but it honestly should shock us, it should sober us up. What are we doing with all that God has given us? We will give an account. Here's the thing: we've seen the shocking truth that God will judge according to works. Well, the next shocking truth that, that Paul highlights is that God shows no partiality. That is, God has no favourites. Yeah, the Jews were so greatly blessed, but in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, so are the Gentiles. God shows no partiality. He has no favorites. He will judge by with no distinctions. He can't be bought. He is never biased. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your upbringing. It does not matter. What really matters is what you are doing with what God has given you. And so Paul is said all of these truths to say, listen, that the judgment of God will be according to works. The judgment of God will be without partiality. And then in verses 12 through 16, he has these two warnings again, just to to drive home the the truth of partiality. God will judge those who have been given the law in accordance with the law, and God will judge those who have not received the law in accordance to what they know of the law. Let's just look at verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So those who know what God commands and they do not obey them, on that last day they will be judged by the law. That's the standard. You knew it. How did you live up to it? And every Jew that's sitting hearing this, they, in one sense, they should be squirming in their seats because they knew it better than anyone else. They, they knew it off by heart. They'd learned it from the, the, the moment they were babies. Parents were teaching that all the time. They could recite it in Hebrew. And yet that will be the standard. Paul says that they'll be held accountable. But the second question that comes, but, but what of the Gentile? What of those who didn't have the privilege of having the law receiving the law well we'll look at what he says in verse 14 for when gentiles who do, do not have the law by nature do what the law requires they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them Now, it appears that in this section, Paul's answering an objection. How can people be judged according to a standard they did not know? How can that judgment be just? If those who don't know God's law and perish apart from the law, what's the standard? Well, Paul's answer is, the law is inborn, even on the Gentile. C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, explains this really, really well. He says... Everyone has heard of people say something like, how do you like it if I did the same to you? Give me a bit of your orange, I gave you a bit of mine. The man who says this is appealing to some standard of behavior which he expects the other to know about. So when someone who knows nothing of God does what God wants because they know it is the right thing to do, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts their conscience also bearing witness. Even the Gentiles have an inbuilt sense of right and wrong. And so here's what Paul's saying, right? God is right and God is just, and he will judge those who know the law by the law. And he's also saying, this is how impartial it is: God will also right, rightfully judge those who don't know the law externally but because they know it internally. Now, I appreciate that everything I've just said there is really dense. It's one of the most dense sections of Paul's uh, part in in this section. The most difficult verse, by the way, is verse 13. I skipped over it. Just to say that's a hypothetical situation. No one can keep the law and be justified. Hypothetically speaking, yeah, that, that that could be possible, but no one has and no one will. But theologians debate that verse. But as we draw this to a close, there's a shocking truth about the fact that we will be judged according to the, our, our works. There's a shocking truth that when, when we face the judgment of God, we will all face the judgment of God on the basis of the law. Whether we knew it externally or whether we knew it internally. But then we get to the most shocking truth of all. The perfect judgment of God. Look at verse eight uh, look at verse sixteen. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. There is coming a day. When the Lord Jesus Christ will judge all the secrets of men. Every single secret, every single sin that you've thought in your heart, every deed that you've committed, on that last day will be revealed. It's a public judgment. And you know, there's a sense when you just stop and you just linger and you think about that great day, it kind of makes you squirm. The secrets of our lives are going to be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ according to his perfect standard, no partiality. He'll judge us according to what we've received, the privileges we've had. And all of that's true. But you need to know that the perfect judgment of God is that Jesus does it. And the the reason why Paul says they're according to my gospel is because even in this section when he's telling us the bad news, he really wants us to, to have the assurance and the comfort of the good news. On that last day when the Lord Jesus Christ judges all peoples, when he judges his people, they have the comfort and the assurance that every single thing that you and I have done that is wrong, and sinful and disobedient he paid for it in full his perfect life that we could never live his perfect life was the reason why we could be imputed his righteousness his comprehensive righteousness to cover our lives his His death on the cross took the the, the wrath of God for our sins and he satisfied the wrath of God. There's there's no better news than to know this right. On the last day it will be Jesus who judges his people. And and, and you know, in the last day he will judge us, and he'll judge us and he'll reward us for the things that we did for him and for his glory. The more you, you think about the judgment, you read through the New Testament, you see his teaching, He'll make us He'll make us rulers of kingdoms. He'll give us above and beyond we could ever think. And it's all because he, he who knew no sin became sin on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And all of that is made possible through faith alone, in Christ alone, justification by work, his works, the finished work of Christ alone. And it's glorious. The shocking truth the perfect judgment of God is that none of us will face a judgment of condemnation on the last day. Paul's going to be building up to this point, Romans 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You know tonight, when you walk out of church, and if you lift your head up, you might catch in the distance the roof of the old bailey you know what's at the top of the old bailey just round the corner the home of British justice there's this golden statue of Lady Justice you know what she holds in one hand a set of scales the scales of justice you know what she holds in her other hand the sword of the sword of judgment and the message is clear when you, you look up at Lady Justice. If you are found guilty, the sword of judgment will fall on you. And then if you if you just look away from the old pale and you turn your gaze over to St. Paul's and you look at the top of St Paul's, you know what you'll see? A cross. A golden cross. And for the Christian, that is a powerful reminder that the perfect judgment of God for his people fell on Jesus Christ. So that anyone who believes in him, anyone who takes refuge in him, is safe, secure, has no condemnation. But brothers and sisters, I need to say this, for those of us who are believers, are you living your life? Am I living my life? in light of the judgment that is to come. What are we doing with that which he has given us? You see, when you stand back and you think of what Christ Jesus has done for us, it's like that great hymn. If the whole realm of nature were mine, it would be an offering far too small because love so amazing, love so divine demands my all. In response to what Christ has done, the question is, what are we doing with the lives he has given us? The privileges that he's bestowed upon us those who've received forgiveness in Christ, those in whom the judgment of God has fallen in Christ, we have every reason and every motivation to live lives for his glory. And so, brothers and sisters, let's let's hear the sobering truth of Romans 2, verses 6 through 16. We don't need to squirm in our seats. We can rest in the comfort that the gospel says we are safe. But, we are being called to go live in light of that great day. And so may we do so in complete and utter dependence upon Christ. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word, that it is God-breathed, it is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, it's useful for the training of the man and the woman of God and up in righteousness so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work we thank you for the way in which a passage like this is intended to sober us up to wake us up to the reality that there is coming that day that great day that we all ought to be ought to to live in light of god so often it's when we forget about that day we, we just coast along in our Christian lives. And yet your word says to us that we are to live our lives for your glory, for your honor, for immorality, to live our lives seeking to obey you. We're not just to be hearers of your word, but we are to be doers of your word. And, 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 and Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us all the resources we need to live as your people and to live in a way that pleases you. To think that our secret sins have been paid in full by you and are covered by your blood and are cast in the sea of no remembrance and has been removed as far as the east is from the west. To think that you took the punishment for every single last deed we've ever committed Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray then that we would go even this week and live in a way that is befitting and honoring to you. And so we pray you'd help us, you'd guide us, you'd lead us, and that you would be pleased in and through us as we live for your glory. Amen.